Thank you for downloading this podcast from Abrupt Audio. You can find more episodes of this and many other podcasts at abruptaudio.com. Subscribe today to get the next episode automatically. Coming up on this week's Pixel Podcast, NASA thinks it can make a supersonic jet with no boom. You can now make coffee with an app. Microsoft is turning the PC into a walled garden. And you'll need a TV license for iPlayer soon. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Pixel Podcast. You're listening to episode five. Just a quick reminder on the different ways you can listen. If you have an Apple device, we are on the iTunes Store and Podcast app for iOS. We are also on Stitcher for Android. And you can find us on the Abrupt Audio website at abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. That's P-I-X-3-L. But to introduce our other two co-hosts this week, we have Edson. Hello. And Martin. Hello. And with that, let's do this week's catch-up topics. Pixel Podcast. Officially approved by Ed's Nan. For the loyal fans of the show, you'll remember last week's article about selfies and they're dangerous. Well, they took it that one extra step further now with the MacBook selfie stick. It's getting ridiculous, guys. Let's put a stop to this right now. I mean, you know, if you're going to take a selfie, you might as well go the whole hog, I guess, and take a MacBook selfie. Isn't it right, Edson? I'm, I'm just looking through these photos now. There's like a link to like the, the photos that people have been taking with these. And in every single one... There is someone looking at them like they should be taken off this earth. It's what? Oh my gosh. It looks so bad. I mean, at least you're getting a workout, but it's just. No. no I don't even no, know the no. purpose. I really don't get it. But, uh, but you know, some people want these things apparently. But uh, yeah, if you are interested <laughs> in the MacBook selfie stick, then uh, there it is. There is now one. Oh my God. Moving on very quickly. So our first serious topic of the week is all to do with NASA. Now, many people remember the Concorde. The Concorde was considered to be one of the most proudest, but also one of the most worrying times in aviation history. Obviously, we can't forget the the big Air France disaster that happened at the end of the career of the Concorde, but it did definitely make a massive impact on the industry, and it was considered for for a first time in many, the air travel was luxurious and can get rich businessmen from London to New York in a very little amount of time. Well, we thought we'd seen the last of the Concorde. This might not be the case. NASA thinks it can make a supersonic jet with no boom. Now, people who remember the Concorde remember the issues with its audio sonic boom. Uh, At certain um, altitude levels, a boom would be strong enough in order to shatter windows, break greenhouses. It was pretty, pretty bad. Because, you know, you've got to remember, these aircrafts are doing speeds as fast as sound. So, you know, they're going to have this sort of sound barrier that goes with it. So NASA's announcement this week was that it was resurrecting a commercial supersonic aircraft called the Quiet SST which seemed like a big jump back into a time machine. NASA Administrator Charles Bolden promises the new airliner would be cleaner, greener and faster than existing commercial jetliners, whisking passengers anywhere in the world in six hours. Let me repeat that. Anywhere in the world in six hours. This is ludicrous. But the laws of physics haven't changed. So how is this going to work? Well, it turns out that NASA and industry researchers have been working on the sonic boom problem from the past couple of years. They think they've cracked it. 
A quote here says, the trick to making airplanes quiet is to change the way the airflow around the airplane is handled, says Juan Jose Alonso, professor of aeronautics at Stanford University, who worked on the X-plane design at NASA headquarters from 06 to 08. At supersonic speeds, the air flowing around the plane generates several shockwaves, each one emanating from anything that sticks out along the airframe, the nose, cockpit, engine, and tail section. As the shockwaves reach the ground, they compress into two distinct waves that go boom, boom, as we all know, but angle and contour those surfaces correctly and you can reduce the noise from Concorde's 106 decibels down to 65 or 70, about the loudness of a car door slamming. The airplane still produces shock waves and expansion waves, but you are tailoring how they are produced so when the noise reaches the ground, it has a specific signature, Alonso says. So guys, if this is the answer, do you think this is going to take off? Um, there's obviously going to be a, a fair more extra cost here into an airliner buying it, but do you think maybe, you know, time's going to repeat itself? We're going to go back to those days where Concorde was the way to travel. I honestly think this is like a good thing because there's so much, there's been so much talk in recent years of like why NASA would go spending so much on sort of like going to going to the moon going to mars exploring all like the, the solar system when in fact they're probably the best people out here to develop our, our air travel even further and i'm really happy that they're actually doing this because air travel like i don't know over the past 10 years not really much has been in development and this is something that i'm extremely excited about if this could like i don't i honestly think it seems like they know what they're talking about. It seems like it, they're going to start testing this, I would imagine. And hopefully it does work and hopefully everything goes well with it and we can see it start being implemented. I think I'm a little worried more than anything. I'm, because right now we've seen a lot of air crashes, especially in the last two to three years. Planes gone missing and I'm not one for flying, I will be honest. And as Ben definitely knows, I hate it. So... I really would like more safer airplanes than faster ones, personally, to see in development right now. Although as someone who has always been really keen on air travel and has a bit of a fascination, um, my dad, for instance, I used to be on the RAF, so I used to kind of get that from that. I think that air travel, honestly, is the safest it's been in a long time. I think that accidents that have happened in the past are far less frequent these days, and I think the ones that do happen are far less serious. Um, okay, we do have the Malaysia flight incident, but I think that was a very unusual, very different different type of accident that we've ever seen before and it seemed from what we know so far to be more of a malicious case than anything else definitely doesn't seem to be a plain fault so I think, you know, I think it now is the time. I think actually history is almost repeating itself in the way that uh, we've kind of gone through the whole 9-11 era where, you know, we were more scared to use air travel. Now things are picking back up again. I think air travel is far more frequent again than the dip that we saw around uh, the 9-11 incident. And I think now may be the time for something to, to introduce as we're getting more confident, as people are going on holiday more, spending more money. I think that the industry is ready for something like this, but I guess only time will tell. Our next topic is about coffee. Yes, that sweet, sweet goodness that we all love. A company called Nespresso has developed an app which brews your coffee for you. The coffee in a pod company, Nespresso, has introduced Prodigio, which lets the especially lazy prepare coffee from a distance using the Nespresso app. The app, available for both Android and iOS, features a few notifications 
just for Prodigio. It can tell you when your water tank is empty, when your tank needs descaling, and when you're low on capsules. And yes, you can order capsules straight from your smartphone. The best feature is the remote brewing. You can fire up your preferred cuppa before dragging yourself out of bed or schedule it to brew at a specific moment. Now, what do we guys think of this? I know there's been sort of like similar things in the past, but actually implement it onto your smartphone is this a good idea i actually quite like it what do you guys think of it i'm an actually a big fan especially someone who puts off getting out of bed till as late as possible and often <laughs> sometimes it even means i don't end up like making coffee to put in my little flask uh, to take away with me on my sort of walk into uni or whatever so yeah i'm actually quite a big fan of this uh, i think it's a good idea and it's something i probably use all the time i mean anyone who's seen my tech channel and martin will know this for sure um i have a remote plug that we reviewed on there and i have kept it and uh, i'm not actually using it on the kettle but i think i was most excited about this remote plug that you control with your phone switch on and off by the fact that i could turn on the kettle without needing to be there uh, so i could have like you know the kettle being ready to go is the minute i got in or the minute i got up so uh yeah definitely i'm excited about this it's going to go that step further and actually make the drink for me so uh, i think that's a big thing and also i think it's a really interesting um product if you are able to integrate it or if it does become integrated into the whole um, home of electronics that we're seeing with our nests and with the Logitech light bulbs as well. I think it'd be keen to see maybe an app that combines all of these where you could basically um, in the morning literally say hit a button which would set a good morning mode which would like imagine this in the future to open the curtains it would set the lights it would you know maybe get the garage open ready for you to drive in and make your coffee ready for you that would be amazing i'm sensing a bit of back to the future dot brown here all automated i love it martin what do you think again i think it's a great idea especially with people's schedules getting busier and busier and like ben says like i always like to leave things right to the end and especially when i wake up i don't have really time to sort of prepare a hot drink for myself so i feel like this app will definitely revolutionize how we get up in the morning as well as it would just be convenient for the consumer i think it's a great idea and i'd like it to integrate with other drinks as well so obviously tea would be definitely one for me i'm more of a tea drinker or maybe even like fizzy drinks and stuff like that i, I can really see this being pushed quite out there and obviously the people who know myself and Martin quite well knows that I've got Martin particularly into mockers at the moment. So uh, Martin could make his mockers without even getting out of bed, which is great. That would be a fantastic move and I'd love every moment of it. This next article is titled, Microsoft is turning the PC into a walled garden and we must fight it, says the co-founder of Epic Games, Tim Sweeney. The universal Windows platform, Microsoft has built a closed platform within a platform into Windows 10. As its first apparent step towards locking down the consumer PC ecosystem and monopolizing the app. It's quite an aggressive move from Microsoft. While the company has been convicted of violating antitrust law in the past, its wrongful actions were limited to fights with specific competitors and contracts with certain PC manufacturers. Anyway, I'm gonna bring Edson into this. What do you think? I mean, I I honestly, I'm, I'm really against this and I think the one community that you can't really annoy exactly. yeah. it's, is, is the PC community. And if this is something that they really are trying to push, I, I just can't see, I can't see this taking off. I can't see this happening. It's it's ridiculous. I just think agree with you, Edson. You know, putting a walled garden and saying to the developers, you're either in or you're out, and if you're in, we'll help you. If you're out, then go ahead and you know, do it all the hard way yourself is a definitely a bad way. I mean, not even a clever smart move from a Microsoft's point of view. And I think it's another example of bad PR management from Microsoft. I mean, what's this going to send to developers who 
you as a company want to put games onto your platform. You know, if you're going, well, you're either in or you're out, this sort of aggressive move, it's gonna make developers go, well, why am I even bothering putting it on Microsoft then on your platform? Why am I bothering putting it on Windows? Like, why, why should I have to abide by your rules? And I think that's even more of a concern when we're talking about uh, Microsoft platform, a platform which is universally for the longest period of time been open for developers to do what they want to do. And I think that's why the success of the platform has been so great. You know, Steam has flourished because of this. And I think this is a bad sign. I know they're kind of a little bit butthurt that people aren't using their stores and using their way of things, but it's making people buy and build PCs and buy Microsoft licenses and buy Word and do all these other things that they do on Windows PCs. You know, it's not a very clever way. And also, I think they're not thinking the bigger picture. They're trying to be a little bit greedy with it. And I think it's going to buy them the backside, just to put it quite lightly. Well, this isn't the only article we covered in recent weeks. Obviously, with the uh, Xbox One, we discussed why should we buy one. And now they're sort of hurting their sort of flagship sort of way to attract gamers. And a lot of my friends are PC gamers, and they love the experience, and they love how open world it is. And now that you're trying to close it off, like I said, you're going to leave a lot of people angry. I can't see the community lay, uh, just laying this down and just going, yeah, we'll, we'll give in, because it's just not going to happen. I think it was a very uh, selfish move from Microsoft, and there's going to be a lot of backlash from this, and hopefully we'll keep you updated with it. I think there's a lesson to be learned, and Microsoft's going to learn it the hard way. Don't mess the PC community because they will <laughs> shout twice as loud as you are back at you, and you will immediately get everything you've just said. We all know it. We're all people who are on the internet. I mean, you know, you can just say something on a YouTube video and get shouted at. So something like this is definitely going to get a reaction, and uh, we're just going to sit here and watch what the reaction is because, uh, in my eyes, it's going to be quite entertaining. Our next topic comes from Facebook, and they are now going to be paying millions more in UK tax. Sorry. <laughs> Facebook has overhauled its UK tax structure and is set to pay millions of pounds more in tax in the UK as a result, according to the BBC. Like Google, Facebook makes the majority of its revenues through the selling of ads. And also like Google, it is responding to increasing pressure to account for those sales in the proper jurisdiction where they are made and to pay tax accordingly. The present change of Facebook is said to include only big advertisers, companies like Tesco, Sainsbury's and Unilever, and will not affect smaller ad sales that are booked online. With respect to the big business deals, Facebook will treat them as UK sales and no longer channel them through Ireland, meaning it will pay a significantly larger tax bill. The changes go into effect from this April and Facebook's first bumped up UK tax bill will arrive in 2017. Now, what do you guys think of this? Is this a good thing? I, and it is a good thing. Yeah, there's they, no arguing they, that. They're really. no longer dodging tax. And I mean, there's, there's loads of companies that do it. But obviously, these really big companies, there's a lot of taxes being dodged and this this money could go to, to some good use. So, yeah, what do you think of it? I really don't think that we even need to dwell on this topic for too long. Yeah. The obvious answer is that it's a good thing and it's about time. And, you know, the only real bad point is the fact that this wasn't done soon enough and it wasn't done out of the good heart of the companies. But, you know, oh, big organisations, eh? Who would have thought they'd ever have a conscious? So, um, so yeah, <laughs> out of the pressure, they've now paid. Great. I mean, you know, we got there in the end, but it's not the great greatest way of going about it and uh yeah hopefully you know this is a trend and 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 this starts spiraling into a a better more civilized way of american companies uh, especially the big ones such as google and facebook actually paying their way in the uk like everyone else who lives in this country and operates themselves things in this country does have to do <music> 
final topic is all to do with Amazon. Now, we have on the podcast talked about Apple, if I'm not mistaken, about a couple of weeks ago when they stood up to the FBI's request in order to make the iOS platform available for them to hack into, basically a backdoor for the FBI. Now, many companies, basically the whole industry has stood up. Uh, Apple more recently, AT&T, phone network in America has stood up and said that Apple are doing the right thing. However, quietly in the background, Amazon have done a really confusing update to their Fire OS devices. Now, locally stored data on Amazon Fire devices is no longer encrypted. Anyone who upgrades their Kindle Fire, Fire Phone, Amazon Fire HD, or Amazon Fire TV Stick to Fire OS 5 will have local information left vulnerable to cyber attacks and stored in plain text. Yes, plain text. Amazon forum members first flagged the encryption removal and were later followed by Twitter user David Scovetta last night. Making devices remove encryption goes against basic cybersecurity principles. An attacker or thief gets nothing but scrambled data if they gain access to an encrypted device. But when they get their hands on the unencrypted one, most anything is up for grabs. They can see all local data, including app data, logins, credit card credentials, as well as photos, videos, text, and emails. It's unclear as to why Amazon chose to depreciate its encryption standards. An Amazon spokesperson did try to clarify by saying that they removed it because they didn't see many customers using it. But why would you remove an option which some people uh, who do care about the security would use? It's absolutely ludicrous. I think it's a really weird decision for them to do in the background while this big fight is going on by Apple. Um, It's weird that Amazon of all people have decided, oh, do you know what? We think that actually encryption isn't a good thing. We shouldn't give it as an option to our customers. If I had any of the Amazon platforms, which I luckily don't, I would honestly be absolutely outraged and I would consider moving from that platform completely because any company who doesn't take my data seriously, which I feel Amazon aren't doing in this case, uh, don't deserve to have access to my data. Uh, Edson, do you agree? 100% agree. And honestly, Amazon as a company, up until this point, I think they're one of the best companies out there. They seem to, up to up to this point, that they've done everything right. But I don't know why this article has come out now when only, was it last week or the week before or something like that? We were talking about, obviously, Apple not doing, like, letting the FBI use, like, it have a backdoor into their device basically and i don't know why they've done this and it's the worst timing of course but i just don't understand why they've done this there's no statement from them yet i'm waiting to I'm, i really want to see what they have to say about this and why they've done this because they need to defend themselves somehow but i don't know this is going to be interesting it is a complete u-turn of what we said about uh apple definitely and my girlfriend actually has uh, one of the Kindles they use and has recently updated it. So people like my girlfriend, people who are the small majority, as they've uh, lovely said there in the article, they're going to be really affected by this. And now they're even more vulnerable to cyber attacks. And I feel like what Ben has just said, if they're not serious about our data, my view is, why should we be serious about you? And that wraps up this week's weekly catch-up topics. If you want to read more information about what we've discussed this week, you can check it all out in the note description on abruptaudio.com. What do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? Pixel Podcast. Here we go, our main topic. If any of you people who are kindly listening to our podcast are students, you probably want to listen to this one because I feel you guys, along with myself and Martin, who is also a student, are kind of the most affected in this latest turn in 
the British TV license. Now, for anyone outside the UK, the TV license allows you as a Brit to watch television, which is aired across the UK on various channels such as BBC, ITV and the like. Without a license, you're illegally watching TV. It's supposed to mostly put money towards the BBC and allow them to operate as they do not run advertising to support what they do. It totally relies on the public giving them the money. But there has been what's considered to be a little bit of a loophole with their latest service, BBC iPlayer. iPlayer, as long as you're not watching programs on iPlayer live, is fine currently to use if you don't have a TV license. The TV license was introduced such a long time ago that it didn't foresee the internet and people watching programs on a service like iPlayer after the recording. So you didn't have to have a license you can watch your Top Gear or whatever it is you watch on BBC on iPlayer absolutely fine. And myself, including a lot of other students, did this as a way of basically not having to pay an extra load of money on the money we already have to pay and get ourselves into further debt. Now, this has been changed with a new legislation which will soon close this loophole, which allows you to watch, like I said, these BBC TV online content without paying the license fee. Now, this will include all the sort of devices, and the quote here says, the BBC works on the basis that all who watch it pay for it. This is the Culture Secretary John Whittingdale. Giving a free ride to those who enjoy Sherlock or Bake Off an hour a day or a week after they broadcast was never intended and is wrong. I'm gonna put this straight up to Martin. Martin, he's saying it's wrong. Do you feel that people using iPlayer without paying for the TV license is wrong? Of course, like they said it there, you pay to watch. And I am one who uh, got quite angry actually with my girlfriend. She was like, oh, oh, have you seen this? It, it's horrible. Like now I can't watch Sherlock and I can't watch this. And I went, well, yeah, you should pay to watch. There are thousands and thousands of people, even millions even, uh, pay f to the BBC their licenses. And then there's students like us who watch it for free. Now I'm not gonna try and uh, put down students. Of course, as a student, I understand money's tight. However, I feel like the people who do pay sort of get the worst end of the stick at the end of the day. They have paid for content and to even watch it back, it's free for others. You start scratching your head and thinking, why am I paying? Why don't I just wait around like everyone else? Now, I feel like this is a great move by the BBC. You know, like I said, their money goes to like funding and everything else towards them. And there are people out there who don't, not even students, like just average Tom, Dick and Harry out there who don't bother with the license, just think, oh, I'll just watch it for free. And I think it just makes me sick to the stomach, really. I mean, honestly, yeah, like I, I do see all of this and everything, but like I do think everyone that is watching it should be paying the, 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 the license fee. But I just feel like this is just going to push people that final step to using these other services like your Netflix, like your Hulus and, and all of these services where you just pay monthly and you watch shows when they get released on there and you you don't then have to like you, you don't then have to have cable TV, you don't then have to pay for your, your license and all of that. It's like I just think these online services now are going to be a lot more a lot more popular. I mean, I've chatted to Martin about this separately, and uh, what I said to Martin is that the type of people who won't be paying a TV license are probably people that are young, like myself, you know, students, things like that. Yeah. People that actually wouldn't struggle to find other ways of watching these shows, even yeah. if they are, let's say, more illegal ways of watching them on other websites. And we all know they exist. You know, Sherlock is on a host of other websites. Um, and we which all are know people do them. Exactly. Yes. And I think all, really all this is going to do is push people to do that rather than watch an iPad. I don't think it's going to make people 
pay for that content unless they really start putting more exclusive content on there more regularly. I know BBC Three has just moved to BBC iPlayer as only channel on there, and they're going to put new short documentaries and things like that on there, so like sort of exclusive content uh, on there. If they keep doing this trend, then I can almost see the money that someone would invest through the TV license to use iPlayer be more worth it. But I think the content definitely will have to match the money that they're asking. And, uh, you know, a quick calculation will figure out that you will, if you pay for the TV license, you're paying for about £12 a month, which is kind of two Netflix subscriptions, put it that way. Exactly. So they're going to have to provide enough content, I think, to justify making people pay to use that service as an extra. So we'll have to wait and see. But if they provide the content, then maybe, you know, things will be OK. But uh, we'll have to see. So Netflix is about six ninety nine a month. And off the top of my head, the TV license price is about 150 give or take. When, when you start adding up Netflix and stuff, it's, it comes to about £72. Yep, yep. Therefore, okay, it's a bit more, but it's the BBC. It goes to different content, it raises shows, and you might be thinking, well, yeah, so does Netflix. But I feel like with the BBC, it's been more established. And you said, oh, people will start going more to uh, Netflix and stuff like that. I can't see it. I still think you'll have that loyal fan base there. Yes, they'll, they'll lose a few more views on on I, iPlayer. However, it just says, it speaks to the audience to say, get a TV license and look at the opportunities that you can get. It's no longer that you pay a license, but any other person can watch it. I feel it's a great move. And I feel like um, people, it might encourage more people to buy TV licenses, but I feel like maybe and this is the only way around it with altercations with the younger, especially for students, maybe have like some sort of code for students for like three years or two years or a year that they can use and therefore it creates it free or cheaper for us. That That is a good idea. Honestly, like the, the student idea is good and I don't, I, 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 I honestly don't know what the solution is here, but I do know that the way they're going about this um, is is probably not the best way. I, I, I do like the idea of the student possibly like being yeah. it being free for students if you are in education or something yeah yeah definitely but i don't I honestly don't know if i don't know it's 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 interesting because the 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 people that aren't paying at the minute are the people that as soon as they implement this are just not going to pay anyway so they're just going to be at the same stage they are now I kind of feel that there might have been another way of going around this. I mean, they are already trying to create exclusive content for iPlayer. Maybe they even go the sort of Netflix way and go, to raise these extra funds, we're going to charge, let's say, rather than the full TV license 12, maybe slightly less. But if you pay that extra, you'll get extra stuff on top of your iPlayer. So you'll get extra new programming. We're going to have exclusive shows to uh, the BBC3 channel, which is, is already exclusive on iPlayer. So I think there might have been another way around it um, to sort of have uh, a sort of maybe an iPlayer-only TV license, whereas part of that you can get extra content and extra stuff that you wouldn't normally get at a cheaper price than a full TV license, which might have encouraged more people to sort of have that extra content. Maybe, you know, it's extra behind the scenes stuff on shows or maybe extra episodes in shows like us, like spin off stuff, you know, little specials, or maybe it's a completely new show. Like, you know, you've got your brand new House of Cards stuff on on Netflix. Maybe it's a show that's exclusive to sort of iPlayer online to really show that the BBC are thinking in terms of the next generation and where TV's moving, you know, TV's moving to this online space rather rather than basically just justifying uh, a TV license and sort of trying to convert it to an online era, maybe make something that actually is based around the online era. That might have been a better way of doing it. But, you know, that's the BBC. They'll still stick to their old ways in my eyes. But, uh, you know, I think overall, anything that's raising funds for the BBC uh, has to be good. And if it brings us better content, then hopefully it'll be worthwhile. A computer lets you make more mistakes faster than any invention in human history, with the possible exceptions of handguns and tequila. 
Our secondary and versus topic for this week is the Xbox One and the fact that in the future it may be upgradable. While Microsoft might have hoped that its free-to-play PC version of Forza would grab the headlines, its press showcase in San Francisco was more notable for Xbox chief Phil Spencer's strong hint that the Xbox One's hardware will be upgraded. After neglecting the PC gaming market for several years, it sounds like Microsoft may now go much further than merely throwing the likes of Quantum Break and Gears of War onto the platform. Microsoft may have been trying to apply the whole concept of PC gaming, that is, extremely wide backwards compatibility, along with the various hardware configurations, onto the appliance-like console markets. What form these console upgrades might take isn't clear, but beefier processing and graphics power may be in the works. We can effectively feel a little bit more like we see on PC, said Spencer, where I can still go back and run my old Doom and Quake games that I used to play years ago, but I can still see the best 4K games come out and my library is always with me. Now, before we get into talking about this, um, this is going to be our versus topic, so we're going to save the the is this good or is this bad for that. Okay, okay. Um, but obviously this week, because I lost last week, I'm still a little bit salty about that, <laughs> that we have Ben and Martin. What, we, what we're going to be arguing is, is this a good thing? Is Xbox and the fact that in the future, it's it looks like it's... Because they, they don't normally hint this stuff if it's not going to happen. So the Xbox in the future is going to be upgraded or upgradable. Is this a good thing or not? What do you guys prefer? What 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 side of this are you guys actually on at the minute? I am on the anti-upgradable. Um, right. I don't know what Martin's on. Um, It's definitely one that I don't really know too much. You're a bit um, on the fence. You're a bit on the fence. Yeah, so I'd probably go for four. So I will try my best on that if I get it. So Martin, as you won last week, uh, you get to choose heads or tails. Um, I'll go heads, please. You'll go heads. And obviously, if it is heads, you get to argue that it is a good thing. Yes? Yes, that's correct. All right. Okay. And I'm flipping the coin. It is heads. So, Ben, as a challenger, um, you are going first. And obviously, a new rule that we implemented last week, we now have 30 seconds instead of a minute to actually throw the argument out. And this uh, is thrown Ben up in the past. Yeah. So, hopefully... I'm not, I'm not the most confident. I'm not going to lie. I'm, hopefully, I'm in 30... I mean, he's got the side that he wants this time, so hopefully it's a little bit better. But I'm going to count you in on three, um, and hopefully you are ready to do this. Are you ready, Ben? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One, two, three... Go. People buy consoles for simplicity. So why would you want to make things more complex? The average PC gamer, sorry, the average console gamer doesn't want to have to think about these things, doesn't have to make upgrades. Is this game going to work with this? What results am I going to get out of it? They want to put it in the console, hit play and go. And I think this is going to add more complexity. If you want the customization, you go for a PC. The people who are interested in that, go for a PC. They have the world of a um, the world of change in that thing. So what I'm going to say is, is basically it's going to make it more complex for developers. It's going to make it more complex for the buyers, more confusing, and it's just going to make it murky like why are you and i'm gonna stop you there you were almost at the end of your sentence i so was, that was good I was. so yeah that was the pretty much bang on thing did you tell seconds. i had lived the whole thing yeah great <laughs> that's what i'm going for and now it's martin's turn up at the bat so i'm gonna count you in are you ready martin not really but ready as <laughs> okay be. on three one two three well, Ben Court says about complexity. Well, gamers have become quite smarter as, it, as time has progressed through. And he also says, oh, but you could just buy a PC. A lot of people, especially the Xbox 
community a very loyal fan base. They want to experience that new, fresh feeling of a game, better experience. That's what Microsoft is always about, getting that better experience. And people say, oh, I don't know about the specs. Maybe my Xbox One can't handle it. Well, read the box. Like, that was how it was done ages ago, and it's still done now. People love new. I'm gonna have to stop you there. So it felt so after like ten seconds. <laughs> I know, yeah, it goes so quick now. It really seconds. does. It really as, does, as, especially when you're not confident as well about mm. it. Mm. Which I don't think Martin was too overly confident in his in his argument on that. But I saw where you were going with that, and I still to this day love my console game, and I still like the fact that consoles are so easy to to play and so easy to um, to just get games for. But but. I do side with Ben on this yes. one. Um, yes, it's it, he did have a good point, and honestly, and my my stance already was with Ben on this. So you had a oh, hell of a job. Wow! Um, Thanks you, for being you, impartial. You had, well. <laughs> it, that's that's just my thought on it even though like i say i do like the console side so sadly you had a lot more to do to, to win me over i feel but ben has done this and i don't even know what are the scores now it is one two three edson one me two and martin three the past the present and the future walked into a bar it was tense you're listening to the pixel podcast so that brings us to a close for another episode of Pixel Podcast. We thank you for listening. However, it is you downloaded the podcast, whether it was on the podcast app on your iOS device, whether it was on Stitcher, or whether it was on abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. But I'd like to thank Edson for joining us. You're welcome. I'd like to thank Martin. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank you again for listening. We will see you same time, same channel next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Pixel Podcast. Thank you and good night. Or as they say in gamer speak, G-G-N-O-R-E. Do you want to tell I was on the toilet the whole time? Do you think they'll notice? I thought I heard some That's some big it, plop. Ben, you're sitting like, oh my God. Ben. Sorry. I was like, like, I had to go. I'm like, what was I supposed I had, to do? Yeah. It, was an, it was an intense versus this week, you know? It just all came out. It all came out, all right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. No more that's, coffee that's, for you, mate. You're not getting this app. My head, my head is in my hands. It's going to do us our ratings a great job, isn't it? So uh, the five stars is going to go down immediately. Oh, I can see it now. Well, I'm about to do that now. Yeah. Mine, uh, you're going to disrate your own podcast. Yeah. Great. I hate that one from Banbury. I hate him. I've already done it. Great. <laughs> That's Thanks, me, guys. by the way. <laughs> so I don't want to do it. Thanks, guys.